You may be a doctor, but I am the doctor. The original, you might say. Thank you very much for downloading the Trap One podcast. I'm Mark. I'm Keith. I'm Jason. So today I thought we would talk about, well actually this is your idea Keith, um, to talk about sort of recasting of Doctors, but not in the sense of regeneration, but in the sense of recasting an existing incarnation of the Doctor. Um, last time I was at the Big Finish Day, the executive producer David Richardson was talking about recasting the third Doctor as Tim Trelaw, and he said his view was it's a part like Hamlet, where it's all, you know, it can be interpreted by different actors, so you can have an interpretation of the third Doctor. So I thought we'd kind of talk generally about um, that idea, how successful different ones are, yeah, how legitimate that you consider them. Um, obviously, Doctor is a lot better than Hamlet, but <laughs> that's kind of the idea that we'll uh, you know, kind of work with that. It's a bit of a change of philosophy for them as well, because originally, I think um, Gary Russell said, it was a very anti-recasting, wasn't it? It was sort of anti-mixing companions from other um, eras together, and that's... Over the, well, I suppose over twenty years, I suppose things have changed somewhat. Yeah, it was one thing I think they ruled out from the very beginning, wasn't it? And certainly when they tried to get Tom in the early days, they completely ruled out. Like a lot of people were suggesting, oh, get John Coleshaw to uh, do a fourth Doctor like stories and stuff, and they were very adamant as in, no, we don't recast the earlier Doctors at all. Mm. Yeah, I think there's there's one cameo, isn't there, in the Kingmaker from. John Coulshaw as Tom Baker. Um, yeah. Whether the, the fifth Doctor's got a tape recording of himself. And, uh, <laughs> right. It's a great gag, that as well, because he says, uh, um, I can't remember which companion it is. Is it Perry or something? It's Perry and Erinham, I think. Yeah, it's so, Perry and Erinham, yeah. It doesn't sound anything like you, and he says, well, your voice never sounds the same when you play it back on tape, <laughs> does it? <laughs> uh, but yeah, I suppose early on they got, they got it rounded with the companion chronicles, didn't they? So they could have um, stories for the first three Doctors, but relayed from the point of view of the of the companions so they had those actors in it was a bit of an evolution really wasn't it because it sort of it started with that then they sort of had um people playing the doctor but also narrating at the same time so they could kind of get away with it that way and then they just went to full cast dramas with those people playing the doctor so they've been quite canny about it i suppose probably tre- uh, treading the water isn't it like testing it just to make sure if it was wasn't received well by the fans they probably wouldn't have gone to the next stage, but you know, then going down the part drama, part audiobook route, so they could have people doing their interpretations of past doctors it was like, like, kind of like testing the water, wasn't it? Mm. Was it a cynical master plan, or was it just how it developed? I suppose we'll never know, really. We have what we have now, so yeah. Do you think it adds a bit of legitimacy that you've got Peter Purvis um, and William Russell playing the doctor? You know, people who've acted alongside him knew William Hartnell personally. I think he must do, really. And also, I mean, with Tim Trillor working with Katie Manning, I think that gives it a bit of um, various similitude as well, doesn't it? Because it's, it's giving, like, their consent, in a way, for other people to play that role, especially when they're known to be as close as, say, Katie Manning and John Levine were. They've both worked with him now, so I suppose it gives it that authenticity now. Yeah, seal of approval, isn't it? Yeah, mm. that's the word I was trying to think of. <laughs> <laughs> so we've jumped ahead a bit there to, to Big Finish, but I suppose the first precedent for this is the two Dalek movies of the 1960s, 
where William Hartner was unavailable to play the Doctor on the big screen because of his filming commitments to the TV series of Doctor Who. So they, they recast as Peter Cushing, who's basically playing the first Doctor, well, in the sense that there was only the Doctor then. There wasn't, he wasn't, as I think Stephen Moffat says, isn't it? William Hartnell wasn't playing the first Doctor. He was just playing the Doctor. Um, so there'd only been one interpretation at that point, and they are remakes of TV stories. Allow me to introduce myself. I am Doctor Who. This is my niece Louise and my granddaughter Susan. And this is my time and space machine, TARDIS. It is capable of taking us to any age, on any planet, in any universe. Bizarrely, though, I completely forgot about him when we were discussing this. Because in my head, he's Doctor Who. He's not the Doctor. So... When I was thinking about what we were going to do for this, I completely excluded him. So in in a way, I've sort of separated that from this whole debate. So yeah, I completely forgot about Mr. Cushing. Sorry about that. Yeah, I think from my point of view, I mean, yeah, like you say, you, you do kind of like count the Peter Cushing movies as their own kind of separate entity. And it's interesting that you mentioned that William Hartnell wasn't available. I, I'm not aware that he was ever really fully considered, I think, by the producers, was it? Yeah. I think they wanted a name for America, didn't they? Right. They wanted a, a star for America, so they wanted yeah. to look outside that. And it's interesting when you watch those films back and compare them to the TV adventures that they're based on, I always think that Cushing is doing his own take on the role. He's not even attempting to try and like, follow in the footsteps of William Hartnell. He's basically been told, like, this is a madcap inventor who's invented the time machine and he's he's gone on with his own different spin and i think that's why they're kind of like so unique as uh, like a different entity in the doctor who canon yeah see as i say I, it didn't even occur to me to think about him so yeah yeah it would be interesting to know yeah had he seen any of william hartnell on tv or was it like you say um instructions from the director because there are similarities in some ways, aren't there? The, the slight kind of absent-mindedness and uh, the, the, yeah. the sort of the curiosity and stuff. I mean, a lot of that's in the script, isn't it? Especially in the first one of exploring the Dalek city and uh, and that kind of thing. But it comes over as much more playful. Is is not like as um, as with the bit with the fluid leak. He's sort of like he's winking at Susan. It's sort of conspiratorial rather than sort of doing it maliciously and putting everybody in danger that way. It's um, more playful, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting you go back to so obviously he's he's doing his absent-minded professor bit um, because he basically plays virtually the same role in a, a later film which was produced by the same people, which was called, I don't know if you guys remember this, but it's it, At the Earth's Core. Oh, I saw that. The pictures on that old, yes. Yes, I think I did actually as well. Um, starring Doug McClure. He did indeed. And lots of people yeah. in dinosaur suits running around, yeah. Yeah, and I caught that, I think, about 12 months ago on the Horror Channel. And I was taken aback at virtually just how identical his portrayal is. And you could almost count it as an unofficial third, like, Doctor Who movie because he is basically playing his version of Doctor Who from those first two movies in that film. I'm glad you've said that because I've always thought that as well. (laughs) (laughs) I'll need to look out for that movie then. That sounds great. Does he do the, the funny little walk that he does as the Doctor as well? Not quite he does. Um, I, think he's got the, I think he's got the moustache as well, yeah. if I remember rightly. So he's not quite as bow-legged, but he's certainly got the, um, the stuttering <laughs> mannerisms, yeah. Yeah. I do love Just, his, his walk. 
Just staying on Cushing, um, I don't know if you're aware, but he also recorded a, a radio pilot for a potential Doctor Who radio series back in 1967, which has been lost and never been found. But, um, and Richard, plans were quite advanced for doing a series, weren't they? So. Yeah, yeah. Um, Richard Molesworth, I think, um, one of the researchers of the Restoration team and the Blu-rays and stuff, and who publishes the... Um, fanzine Nothing at the End of the Lane mm-hmm. uncovered this a fair few years ago um, and uncovered the promotional material for it but as as it stands um, the recording is lost and no one can find it but it was originally planned if it got picked up um, by radio stations to be 52 episodes long There are no scripts or anything then it's just literally the promotional stuff just literally the promotion stuff. There's there's no, like, um, I don't think the script's been recovered at all. But they have, like, a full, like, kind of, like, supporting cast. The Susan was in there, obviously played by a different actress. And I think the other companion was called Mike. So it was a literal spin-off on the films, then? Yeah, yeah, literally, yeah. That's another really interesting kind of what-if, isn't it? There's, there's Doctor Who history's littered with the... Um... Yeah, what could have been? Well, there was a third movie planned as well, wasn't there? And there's rumours that it's going to be loosely based on the chase or that they wanted to kind of like do their own thing. But when the second film didn't quite do as well as the first, mm. then they, they cancelled the uh, the plans for it. But it's interesting that if the films have continued, would they have then gone down the route of regenerating the film actor and then perhaps like, casting Christopher Lee after Peter Cushing and then getting other horror icons as, as Doctor Who. There's a rather marvellous um, fake trailer somebody's done on YouTube for the uh, proposed third film. It's uh, well worth a look if somebody finds it. Oh, Chris- really? They've got Christopher Lee playing the Dracula role in it from the... Uh, ah. Ah, and the Beatles being exterminated. I will put that in the show notes. Uh, if I can find that, I can uh, embed that video. That sounds cool. I think it's called Doctor Who and the Mekons, but I might be wrong. Or the Mekons. Right. Yeah, I think the chase would have lent itself well to a movie as well. It would have been... Uh, Certainly up the budget. Well, it's, it's a nice little runaround, isn't it? So it's nothing mm. too serious. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, moving on from that, I guess the next probably example is Richard Herndl. Oh, no, there's the um, the second Doctor in the Sky Ray Ice Lolly adverts, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Who always has his hand in front of his face. Yeah. <laughs> He's got a stovepipe hat and a recorder, hasn't he? So <laughs> and apparently very scared of sparklers, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Will Doctor Who skate this time? By Wool's new shape Sky Ray with double flavours of raspberry and orange. And you get a free colour picture card. One of a series showing Doctor Who and the Space Raiders battling with Daleks. Free when you buy Wall's new shaped Sky Ray. Only six months. Not too much to say about his performance, probably. Did he sell him any ice lollies? Who <laughs> <laughs> can say? They're not still around, are they? So. Oh, no. Yeah. I do remember the Dalek ice lollies. I don't remember the Sky Ray ones, though. Is that the one with little cards in them? Or it was like a cartoon adventure on the back or something? Yeah, yeah. They were like green, mint, kind of chocolate ice lollies, weren't they? 
was the, I think there was a competition involved as well, wasn't it, about winning a, a full-size Dalek. And somebody's actually found a picture of what the actual prize was. And it, it was um, a little rough around the edges, shall we say. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite screen accurate. No, more dustbin and uh, salad bowl, but uh, <laughs> definitely full-size. Cool. So, yeah, there's probably not much more to say about uh, this, but there's probably some some research somewhere, like you say, in one of those fanzines, like nothing at the end of the lane, isn't there, about who that guy was and uh, <laughs> the rest of his career and how he got the part. Well, I think it was quite an impressive TARDIS set for about 10 seconds. There's a bit of worse ones on telly over these. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, but uh, moving on to the five doctors. Um, so you guys probably remember this one going out. Um, it was a little bit before my time. What, what was the sort of reaction like, if you remember at the time, to recasting Hartnell? I think because fandom was less obvious then, there was no sort of, um, around me there was no opinion. To me, mm. I think some people who were like seen Hartnell were slightly uh, perturbed by it, but people in my age who'd never seen him, I think I'd seen like the uh, Unearthly Child repeated once on BBC Two, and that was literally all I ever knew of him. So I wasn't that fussed, to be fair, and I thought it was quite ingenious. But um, I don't remember being much of a stink about it in um, um, Doctor Who magazine at the time, with Doctor Who mm. Monthly, I think, in those days, wasn't it? So, yeah. But, yeah, same, yeah. I mean I, I mean, I was 11 at the time, and I certainly remember, like, me and my friends were more, like, buzzing about the, the Raston Warrior robot than, you know, the first Doctor not quite looking the same as what he used to. But... Like you said, I, I think we only ever knew it from the five bases repeat uh, that had happened a couple of years before, yes. uh, where you'd only seen the unearthly child, and then you'd seen a bit of him in when they repeated the three doctors a couple of weeks later. And literally that clip at the start. So yes, um, yeah. In retrospect, it's quite. I can see why they did it because they wanted him to be in it, but in a lot of ways, it was sort of showing the audience, that this was not the first doc, it was a completely different person. Yeah, I, I wonder how many actual general viewers at the time would have actually noticed or cottoned on that it wasn't William Hartnell, or whether even been aware that William Hartnell was like no longer with us by that point. My biggest um, feeling at the very beginning of The Five Doctors and seeing Hartnell, just thinking how bad his teeth were, I was quite relieved that uh, Herndl's teeth were a lot better. <laughs> it was funny what's sticking in. And obviously, uh, famously, uh, Richard Erndall got the job, didn't he? Because um, John Nathan Turner saw him in a Blake 7 episode, didn't he? And uh, somebody had um, said how much he resembled William Hartnell, so he, he had him in mind when the Five Doctors came round. And having seen the episode of Blake 7, you kind of think it's not really very much like Hartnell, apart from his head no, slightly long, no. so... Uh, he's sort of playing uh, a slave, he's, he's slightly... Um, Doddery, so it's us, but um, heartless, no, no. I mean, probably the the best actor at the time probably would have been Jeffrey Bailden, mm. who, as the crow man in Wurzel Gummidge, was more heartless than than Herndl was. And Cat Weasel, yes, yeah, Cat Weasel, yeah. Probably, I always think he probably does take his cues maybe from earlier Hartnell as well. And I guess if that was what was fresh in the public's mind from the unearthly child, he's quite unapproachable in that isn't he uh, with, with the companions and stuff um, and in the five doctors he, he's not exactly friendly and I suppose in a lot of ways though um, Terence Dix was writing what he wrote in the novels and the uh, the first doctor he writes in that is sort of like the one he he sort of like rep he presents in his books isn't it sort of like crotchety whereas he actually watch 
um, hard. He's sort of like giggling for like his last two years, isn't he? Yeah. He's quite an avuncular character, actually. But um, Dick's always described him as a crotchety old man, and I think that's what he wrote for it. But I suppose if you've got five, in effect, leading men, you've got to do the archetype. Yeah, yeah. you've got to like put it down to the very basics because none of them really have much of a character arc in that, do they? So it's, it's like... You, you write as you remember the character. Mm. Yeah, I, I kind of think that carries on into the modern series as well. You need a bit of a sort of a, a thumbnail almost. I know people have uh, issue with the writing of uh, David Bradley's incarnation in the uh, Twice Upon a Time. Yeah. Oh, well, the, uh, the smack bottom line. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think you've got to, and he does the same with, with Tennant to some extent in Day of the Doctor. He plays up the kind of the, the womanizer side of that incarnation. I also thought the, the Bradley version, he was sort of writing what we now perceive Hartnell to be, rather than what the first Doctor was. He's sort of writing him as sort of like this uh, sexist, very old-fashioned viewed um, Yeah, reactionary. I think, he was, yeah, I think he was trying to write Hartnell more than actually trying to write the first Doctor. Probably, yeah, yeah. It's sort of based on uh, an adventure in space and time. Yeah. Or does... I mean, we, we have this perception of Hartnell now as this sort of... Uh, Sexist, racist, sort of uh, woman, uh, drinking, gambling person. Um, yeah, I think that's probably tarnished maybe our view of him, probably unfairly actually. But um, that's bound to sort of um, affect the way you write. It's come down to, I suppose, in the end that the first Doctor is really William Hartnell, and only just recently it's sort of it's becoming the first Doctor is a character that rather than identified with the actor themselves and I think as an older fan it's we're going to get a um, head around the fact that people the the character is a character now not the actor and mm. I mean the first doctor or say, say the fourth doctor is Tom Baker and yeah it's going to be a long time before you can sort of think of it no it's a bloke with a scarf with curly hair sort of like if, if, what a, a crass example sort yeah. of say it's like Hamlet is a um, a character, not the first person who ever played him. So, say in a hundred years' time, if Doctor Who's still on, none of us will be here to see it. But other people will be playing the um, if anniversary specials or if Big Finish exists in whatever form. <laughs> then, if you, it, other people will be playing these parts, and it'll be accepted, I suppose. But I suppose we're of the generation where it's going to be harder for us to see that transition. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, that does. Yeah, yeah. On TV, I wonder if there's an element of Hartnell being a little bit less distinctive-looking than some of the other Doctors, in the sense that you, you sort of think of him as a as an old man with long white hair. Basically, an Edwardian gent, isn't it? Yeah, whereas maybe sort of, you know, Pertwee and Tom Baker and, uh, and the other Doctors, they're physically more distinctive and would be more difficult to emulate. I suppose that's true because I mean, Tram was essentially wearing the same costume, wasn't it? Just a scruffier version. So until Pertwee, that was the Doctor Law. Yeah. And then that became identified with that particular Doctor when uh, Pertwee took over. Mm. That was a conversation killer, sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, in terms of. Um I think we were saying before, kind of about legitimacy. Having having had David Bradley in an adventure in space and time first, both playing William Hartnell and playing William Hartnell playing the first Doctor, do you think that helped him be accepted 
um, in, in the TV show proper. Well, we'd seen him in a Doctor's environment, wasn't we? I mean, we've seen him like enacting bits from the actual show, so I suppose it's easier to identify him. Yeah, it? and there's an in-story explanation for him not quite looking the same as well, isn't there? True. Which uh, they said that. But to be uh, fair, he just looks very spookily like him. I remember when I saw yeah. the first uh, casting pictures from uh, Adventure in Time and Space or Space and Time. Never remember which way around. I thought they've really they've hit that. I don't think he sounds particularly like him, but in a, terms of appearance, they could have found a better actor. Yeah. I don't think. And mannerisms, uh, he does probably better than Herndl. Yeah. Um, picks up on his mannerisms and, and, and probably the speech patterns. The wide-eyed lapel clutching, yeah. Yeah. He's quite a lot taller, isn't he? I think uh, that's maybe part of it. Because I, I think I remember reading something at the time about the, the first Doctor's prop for Twice Upon a Time was made bigger than it should have been <laughs> so that um, David Bradley didn't look as... Tall as William Hartnell, uh, make him look about the same height as William Hartnell. So oh, you remember you something about that? Oh, right. The time, yeah. We're not getting so, to the uh, business of like with the hobbits, though, when they literally like yeah. really <laughs> just do uh, make them all look different sizes. Now that would be very difficult. Yeah. It's interesting that obviously, like going back to an adventure in space and time, because we also got another kind of like recast doctor in that, didn't we? We got Reese Shearsmith as Patrick Troughton. Mm. Uh, it's interesting that no one's kind of like suggested that he take up the mantle and he's been asked by a big finish or anything. They've kind of continued it with um, Fraser Hines, haven't they? They have, yeah. Yeah, that seemed less popular at the time, generally, Yeah. than, than David Bradley, didn't it? Uh, I don't know whether it's because he, he's, he's very briefly on screen, isn't he? Mm. I think he only has about one line in it. Um Plus, he's not so, doing anything Doctor, is he? He's playing, no, he's playing yeah, trap. No. He's not even trying to be the second Doctor. So you don't really see how he would have done it. And perhaps that's why probably he hasn't, fans haven't like, kind of like taken that and run with it as a suggestion. Plus, he's probably very busy doing other stuff. So. Well, yeah, Inside Number Nine's an absolute cracking series. They're very yeah. busy with that, aren't they? Yeah, I love that. The Halloween um, special, that was amazing. Yeah. But I so think this... um, the Heinz... Um, came out of the blue, didn't it? He, was, he agreed to do the uh, Companion Chronicles. And then when they do the little interviews, bits at the end, he was totally astonished. He just produced this um, this impression, really. I've heard the same a bit with the Peter Purvis as well. He'd suddenly come in, kind of known more as a presenter by then. I think mm. people kind of forgot he was an actor. And then he produced this quite interesting rendition of Hartnell. And it was uh, a joy to behold. Like, where's the uh, William Russell one? It's just basically him doing an old man voice, which... Sound yeah. more like um, him than Ian does now. So, but yeah. uh, whereas <laughs> did actually did a performance playing the first Doctor, and I have to say mm. I quite like that version. Yeah, that series that um, was it the the Dalek occupation of Winter, and the was it the crash of the oh that whole little mini series, yeah, yeah, with, with Maureen O'Brien. Um, he plays both Stephen and the first Doctor, and they are very, very distinct performances. And, and that's very... the series where they've gone full, um, full dramas, and there's no narration or anything. Now. Yeah, they're, they're just they've, um, they're trusting him now to do the first Doctor, and it's kind of their version now. In a way, it's kind of sad that Bradley's taken over at Big Finish because, in a lot of ways, we're sort of we we'll probably hear less of that now. They're, they're getting their own sort of distinctive first Doctor range with, mm. with that cast. And well, I'm there's a new Companion Chronicles coming out with the first Doctor 
soon, I think, uh, September-ish, so, um, mm. yes, in September, so uh, we'll, um, I suppose, that kind of uh, other actors playing the first Doctor who hasn't disappeared entirely. Yeah, it's interesting that um, John Gilmore has not uh, ever been approached as well. He did the nice little uh, first Doctor line in the 50th anniversary special, didn't he, Day of the Doctor? Did, did he, was oh, right. he the chap who did the uh, Planet of Giants as well? Some... Yes, he did the animated reconstruction as well. Yeah, because that was phenomenally good. The uh, It was generally uncanny, so it's... Yeah. yeah. And on the one of the special features as well, I think, is it Carol Ann Ford and both William Russell? Uh, kind of like astounded at just how much he sounds like William Hahn. I suppose, I mean, I've, I've come, um, we're sort of skipping to the second Doctor way with um, yeah. Dr. Hines doing it, but, I mean, there's a chap called Christopher Thompson who does an absolutely impeccable Patrick Troughton. I mean, it is uncannily good, and he's done mm-hmm. sort of like uh, fan-based dramas. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I follow him on Twitter, yeah. He's, yeah. Very, he's very good. I mean, he's, he's superb. I mean, it's, it's creepily good mm. but uh, they continue to use Heinz at Big Finish and I, w- I often wondered whether it's because it's more cost effective to pay for one actor to do the two voices <laughs> or whether it's just better manners to keep using Heinz because he's become established as their doctor and yeah, it would be strange to bump him off doing that part to bring somebody else in to do it so whether it's I'd say I don't know whether it's manners or just it's cheaper for them to do it that way yeah, because Chris Thompson has done some work for Big Finish, I think, hasn't he? But but not as the second Doctor. I believe so, yeah. The, was it the comic strip adaptations he had a part in? I generally can't remember. I, think so. I know he's yeah. done it because he put him, uh, as I say on Twitter, he put pictures of himself yeah. in the studios, didn't he? People did get a little excited thinking he was going to do yeah. like, um, his Troughton, but uh, not to be yet. I do find Frazine's a little bit inconsistent. Um, yeah. With it. He, he sort of sometimes hits the, the Troughton voice really well. Uh, and then sometimes, and in the Legacy of Time, which was the recent uh, anniversary special, which celebrated 20 years of Doctor Who at Big Finish, I didn't feel like he hit it at all. It very much sounded like Fraser Hines to me. Mm. And I was wondering if part of that is because he's with, he's in a story with the other Doctors and the 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 actual Doctor actors. Yeah. Does, does that does that highlight it? But Tim Trelaw's in that as well as the Third Doctor, and. I don't know, it kind of gets away with it more. So I wonder if it, um, he kind of had his own adventure first, didn't he? So he was sort of more attuned to his performance maybe beforehand. Yeah. I have to say, I found uh, with Heinz that the his performance in the Companion Chronicles has been really good. I've been mm-hmm. less convinced in like the full cast dramas, where it's just harder for him to maintain it for so long, or for, for more dialogue, I'm not sure. But uh, Or maybe he's just getting slightly older and it's finding it harder with the voice production. Yeah. So the other second Doctor that we've had is one of his sons in the um, the Nest Cottage, one of the Nest Cottage series. Ah, uh, that's yeah. right, the third series, yes. Um, which, uh, was it, With the village on the moon, yes. Was it David Troughton that played it? It was David Troughton, yeah. yeah, in Serpent Crest, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, so how do you think that compares to, to Fraser Hines? It's, it's an interesting thing they do for casting relatives as well, because they've done that with Lashore as well, mm-hmm. use her daughters. I suppose it's, again, that thing of legitimacy, isn't it? That if you use a relative of the, the main actor, it sort of it's, it sort of assuages any sort of um, qualms you might have about recasting such a well-loved person. Mm. 
Um, yeah, well, I remember getting that because at the time Tom wasn't doing big finish, was he? So, no. um, and I don't think I'd seen anything about the the second Doctor being in that story. So, I tend to listen to you know my audios when I'm, I'm driving, and, and remember I was dri- driving, and suddenly like the second Doctor popped up, and he was like, "What? What?" It took me quite by surprise. But, but he's, some he's of the obviously. Spoiler is, he's not playing the second Doctor, is he playing an alien pretending to be the second Doctor? He's a clone, isn't he? But, yeah. But, uh, say, the, the actor had sort of done some audio books, so he sort of, like, had already done his version of the, of the second Doctor. I think that's kind of what he sort of said, gave him the idea. So Doris Stewart, can I say? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I remember, I haven't listened to it for a little while, but I, I remember thinking he didn't sound enough like him, but... It's tricky, isn't it? Because you can't you can't entirely recreate it, um, but you got enough of the flavour. He did have some of the uh, some of the same voice. That's it. And as he and says, it, in the end, it turned out not to be him anyway. So yeah, it's yeah. a good Didn't kind of work around. Yeah, it's kind of like the original story idea, wasn't it? When Tom Baker was supposed to appear in the Five Doctors, and they had a the script was going to reveal that the first Doctor was actually a was it an Auton or something, and that's why he didn't quite look exactly like William Hartnell. So it's kind of like mm-hmm. that little wraparound, isn't it, to get out of that thing of sounding quite a, a little bit different. There's that lovely line, he fell over and all his springs came out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking about the, as you say, about casting uh, relatives and things, um, I was thinking, I mean, a lot of people are, are saying this, but Sean Pertwee, as, as the third Doctor, as he gets older, he, he resembles his dad a lot more. Um, he did that photo, didn't he? Was it Halloween one year? Oh, the famous Halloween people. Yeah, wearing yeah. yeah. his dad's costume. Yeah, and looked absolutely brilliant. I think... And he, there was people saying that, he, that invited him to the show to, to do it as well, and he couldn't do it for work I've never known if that was true or not, but uh, right. it was heavily rumoured that um, Moffat had invited him to to appear as the third Doctor at one point. But was that for the 50th anniversary? or Generally don't know. And the, oh, right, okay. They come out of, the, out of the air, don't they? So it's, uh, whether it's true or not, I don't know whether it was just people had seen the picture and misconstrued what it was. But uh, yeah, at least, I mean, physically, it would have been uh, a, probably a closer match as you could ever get because uh, Pertwee's so distinctive, isn't it? Yeah, he's the only person I could think of that would be probably accepted on TV as the third Doctor. Mm. And as he's getting older, he is actually looking more and more like his father. So it is kind of like that thing, is that as age progresses, he's, he's looking more like his dad. And, and he also, when he, he does a lot of voiceovers, doesn't he, for TV documentaries and stuff. Mm-hmm. And sometimes if you come across something where you're watching it and then you find that, you, you get that hint of John Pertwee in Sean's voice a lot now. Yeah, that, that's kind of huskiness, isn't it? That uh, yeah, if that's the right word that that comes through. But just without that slight lisp that uh, John had. Hmm. Have you have you heard much of the Tim Tree Law stuff, Jason? No, I haven't. Like I said, I am really far behind. But I did obviously um, the latest um, Tim Tree Law series or Third Doctor series. I was surprised that they'd um, not only, like you say, recast Liz Shaw with Caroline John's daughter, but they've also recast the Brigadier with John Coleshaw. Yeah. 
and listening to that trailer, I was actually astounded at just how well John Culshaw did an impression of Nicholas Courtney. That I was, I was always kind of like not too big a fan of the Tim Trillor's version of the Third Doctor, but that one's really kind of like tempted me to to pick up that series at some point. Um, listening to it, I was I was aware that it was um, Culshaw, but listening to the Legacy of Time. There was a yeah. where there's a certain phone call mm-hmm. and um, they speak to the brigadier and I genuinely, I was walking home, I had my headphones on, so I wasn't listening on anything like um, very good sound reproduction or anything like that. But I genuinely yeah. thought they'd found some old footage of Courtney and had spliced it in. And I was so shocked when I discovered later that it wasn't um, him because it, it, that did sound like him. So I have to say, I was, I was totally taken in by that, as, as I say. Wasn't on the best headphones in the world, but yeah. I thought they'd find some old because uh, they did they use some old uh, um, John Pertwee stuff, didn't they? And Zagreus and long ago. They that did, was, yeah. They that used one they found the, some outtakes the from one of the video, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah years from, back from Devious, isn't it? I think that's right. Yeah. yeah. So I just assumed they found some old lines from other productions mm-hmm. and uh, spliced it in. So that was convincing. Yeah. Yeah, he is good. I think they uh, Dave Richardson again heard him on the Five Doctors audio book. Um, where he, he does a lot of different voices. It's quite a good audition for culture, wasn't it? That, yeah. <laughs> he's got quite a lot of work out of it. But yeah, th- for me, Tim Trelaw's got better as the series have gone on. I think with each subsequent one, he sounded more and more like the Third Doctor. But even the first one, they had Katie Manning and um, Franklin in it, didn't they? Mm. And that sort of gave their sort of seal of approval because... Uh, it is strange who they do recast and who they don't and how long it takes for them to do it. Now, I sometimes wonder if that involves the the personalities of the people doing the productions as well because a lot of these people have been like friends, more or less, with a lot of the actors. And it must be hard for them to replace them because um, especially um, Courtney was such a fan favourite and yeah. did so much with the fans. It must have been strange for them to try and replace him. Yeah, and worked, had worked with Big Finish uh, as Caroline John. It's taken such a long time to do that. Whereas Caroline John, they've sort of recast reasonably quickly. Yeah. As opposed to um, the Brigadier, because, mm. I mean, it's it's been a long time since Courtney's died now, hasn't it? So. Yeah, well, he died um, shortly after Elizabeth Slayton, didn't he? In, uh, was it 2011? It was a grim old year, wasn't it? Yeah, I remember it being Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's interesting that you, like, you talk about recasting the companions, and it's like... Obviously, with Tom Baker still, like you know, knocking the big finish um, audios out. At what point do we then get to the point where we recast like Sarah Jane and Harry, and we have like a uh, a season box set of series twelve adventures? You know, I mean, that's the thing. I, would Tom Baker like somebody impersonating Elizabeth Slayton because they were so friendly and he feels her love yeah, so much? Yeah. And it's strange that you think that would be the key one they would recast. And, but, mm. I mean, there's been dramas recently where uh, fan production where people have tried to do um, Sarah Jane Smith, and she had a strangely distinctive voice, and one that's obviously very difficult to reproduce as well. Mm. Whereas, sort of like a military type, you can sort of like knock out, and people like Pertwee's voice was quite distinctive. A more distinctive voice is quite easy to impersonate, I should imagine. But Liz Slayton's voice was quite unique in a way. I mean, she was sort of liver puddling, but didn't quite sound it. Was, she was a, yeah. it was a unique voice to interpret. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas, and obviously, Ian Martyr was quite, you know, you know, he, there's not really much there to hang on to, kind of like do a, an impression of or a continuation of, is there? 
it's kind of like just the, if, if you do a genuine like standard bumbling old idiot as as you know a companion, is it going to sound like Harry Sullivan or well, are you going to get thrown out in the that, audio? They? they have that uh, Jeremy Fitzoliver character in the audio. Uh, radio shows. Oh, uh, Radio 5, um, yeah. two dramas for John Perry, yeah. Which is kind of sort of highly light in such he was like a bumbling person, slightly posh, but well-meaning, but vaguely incompetent. But the portrayal of the character or the way it was acted was infuriatingly irritating, which Harry could easily have been if it hadn't been for Ian Martyr's just sort of like affability. Mm. And yeah, it played it more straight, didn't it? And another actor who perhaps didn't have that sort of same charisma could really muck up Harry in a big way. Yeah. If you've always yeah, got the, uh, the incompetence. I remember listening to the uh, Paradise of Death and the Ghosts of End Space when they came out and really hating that Jeremy character. He's, yeah. And it's no discredit to the actor who played him, but well, no, it is, like you say, there's a fine yeah. line between playing that character and I think he played it completely the opposite way. Yeah. Completely. It should, if, if just Big Finish had come along a few years earlier, you'd have got those some Sarah Jane and the Third Doctor uh, adventures out of that, wouldn't you? And, and, and much higher quality, I'd imagine, than uh, in terms of the scripts than, than the Ghosts of End Space and the, the Paradise. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Big know. Finish did their own series of Sarah Jane adventures before the Sarah Jane adventures, didn't they? Yeah. And what a grim old listen they are as well. She's, she's not having a very yeah. fun life in those. I think she has a better time in the TV version. <laughs> <laughs> One thing, uh, the last big finish day uh, I attended, they, they, they had a panel um, with Tim Treelaw, uh, Katie Manning, uh, and a couple of the writers for, that do the Third Doctor Adventures. Uh, I think Nick Briggs was there as well. And they heavily intimated that they, they're looking for a Delgado to, oh. to, to sort of complete that that set now they, they've recast the brigadier as John Coulshaw. Um so so that'd be interesting as well because it's not something that's really been really been looked at in Big Finish. They they've used um, oh the name's gone out of my head the uh, the chap that was Jeffrey the, Beavers Jeffrey Beavers um, as a, as a bit of a kind of a catch all, haven't they? For he spans a lot of the different incarnations of the Doctor. Yeah, well, I think Jeffrey Beaver's decayed master has, has virtually met every single incarnation of the Big Finish Doctors, hasn't he? Yeah. They've been reluctant to, like like you say, go down the recast for Delgado. Mm. And does that mean that they're then thinking of recasting Anthony Ainley? Because he had a very unique kind of like take and voice as the master as well. It must be very strange for Katie Manning, though. It's sort of like a, it's like a science fiction story in itself. It's like every time she turns up to work, all her friends have been like replaced by doubles and duplicates. It's, uh, it's like her own personal invasion of the body snatchers. <laughs> she looks around. It's it's like, invasion of the autons, isn't yeah. it? For a... like she's a big finishes her version of pod people. <laughs> but again, it, as I say, I wonder how much it's down to the acceptance of um, other actors because um, Annika Will seems to have accepted um, the chap who plays Ben. Now. Um, his name, what's his name? Uh, Elliot Chapman. Mm, yeah, I mean, he really does sound like uh, Ben as well. But uh, um, he's you can kind of tell on the extra at the end of an episode that uh, Annika Wills has totally accepted that. And I wonder if that's a bit. I wonder if they say to the original actors, "Would you mind working with somebody else playing this role or not?" Because it, it would be strange for them, and perhaps a little upsetting to have 
especially if you're aging yourself, knowing that one day you could get replaced as well. It's, it's that's yeah, that's true. I mean, because obviously everybody's point. voice is aged, don't they? And will it get to the point where you know? Obviously, they're never going to say like, "Well, sorry." to Peter Purvis, you don't sound like Stephen Taylor anymore, we're going to replace mm. you, but should that day then come, you know, must that play at the back of an actor's mind when they're doing this? It's also intriguing they don't replace living actors, because they've never replaced Dodo, have they? Because the actress no. said she's you know, she's not, just doesn't want to work anymore, so, yeah. which is fair enough, she's no interest in coming back, but they never sort of like recast her, so... Maybe it's sort of seen as bad form to replace people when they're actually still alive. Yet they have replaced Susan when Caroline falls alive. So I've just shot my own argument down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and William Russell, haven't they? Because they've got the uh, the adventure in, in space and time uh, cast in there. Just remind me then what you said. That I remember an interview with with John Pertwee. It was sort of a lost interview that was that turned up a couple of years ago. Um, and I think they talked about the five doctors. And when they, um, Richard Herndl turned up on the set, he said that him and Patrick Trout sort of looked at each other and said, are they going to recast us one day? Um, which is quite... Uh, and yes, they did. Yeah, sort of... Uh, they just probably realised the... Probably at that point, celebrating the 20th anniversary, the longevity of it, it's going to going to keep going and uh, and how much people want to see new stories with the, with the existing cast. Because mm, well, the- then you've also got the developments of computer-generated imagery, haven't you? You've yeah. got the point of that, you know as that technology becomes cheaper and cheaper and then they can do it on a TV budget, say in the 60th anniversary special, the 70th anniversary special, are we going to get new scenes with a CG um, John Pertwee or Patrick Trout or William Hartnell a la, you know, the way they did Peter Cushing as Grand Moff Tarkin in Star Wars Rogue One? Yeah, the deep fakes they call it, don't they? Where they can, yeah, they can deep fake technology, like that, which is yeah. it's coming along like leaps and bounds. There's there's some very good YouTube videos out there where they've replaced, you know, people's faces with an actor, and it it looks virtually real. It, it's yeah. scary how fast that technology is developing. I'm hoping for on Her Majesty's Secret Service with Sean Connery one day. <laughs> oh. Now, oh, don't <laughs> not poor George. He's fine. <laughs> He's the Paul McGann of James Bond. Yeah. <laughs> There's an alternative, not not to <laughs> not to replace it forever. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good point. That's uh, that's something you could see further down the line, isn't it? Um, yeah, whether it's it's around in time for the 60th anniversary with a uh, 13 or 14 doctors. Mm-hmm. And all the Team like the surviving cast de-aged as well because you can do that now because they do that. Oh like, yeah, the yeah, Marvel like films, the Marvel movies, yeah. Yeah, that's so good in those films. Uh, I remember when I saw Ant Man, it took me a few minutes to realise because I, I think you're probably so used to seeing Michael Douglas in in you know a lot of his big films are in the eighties. Um, I was kind of watching him for a couple of minutes before I thought, oh god, yeah, he's uh, <laughs> de-aged him. Um, really, really impressive technology that. And then Kurt Russell as well in uh, in um, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Yeah, and they even de-aged Samuel L. Jackson for most of Captain Marvel because it was set twenty years ago. And it's, yeah, you, you, you watch that and you you just don't even twig that you're watching Samuel L. Jackson with a slightly CG'd younger look. It's you just accept it because mm. the technology is that good. Yeah, that's a an intriguing possibility for the future, isn't it? 
Uh, I suppose kind of a, an adjunct to what we were talking about before about the brigadier and the master is you've got the, well, it's never been brought back, but the cyber brigadier is, uh, <laughs> as, a, as a way of continuing that character on TV. <laughs> oh, cyber break, yeah, don't remind me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's what I was, um, I was, I was saying, Keith, this, uh, about this the other day. There was, it was, obviously wasn't a universally popular thing to do um, to the character, but I wonder... Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's not a problem. What, to resurrect his decomposed yeah. corpse and stick it in a cyber shell? <laughs> well, I suppose that... You, I mean, you don't, there was no Twitter at the time, but after Roger Delgado's death, they they, they had a literal decomposing corpse... Oh, yeah, ...replace yeah. him, didn't they? Um, and I wonder about this with sort of Richard Herndl and things like that as well. The, the classic series seems to be... There's so much time elapsed that it's kind of... It's okay, isn't it? It's sort of. It's just uh, accepted, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Whereas when the new series does something maybe similar, and in the age of social media, of course, where oh, you know fans have got a bit more of a platform, uh, where the things, yeah, it's you, you, the, the, the old series, you know, kind of constantly rewrote its own history and uh, and whatnot. And but it seems like when something contradicts something, you know, some from the old series and the new series, there's a bit more of a backlash, maybe, but. Um, I suppose over time it all just gets smoothed out. Yeah, uh, it's interesting because that kind of like happened a bit last year, didn't it? When um, Doctor Who magazine did tons of Wang Chiang, didn't they, as the time team? And um, obviously you had fans of the classic series who were kind of saying, well, that's how TV was made. But back then, you know, yeah, you know, some actors did play ethnic characters when they were white actors. And then you had, obviously, the newer generations who were up in arms saying, oh, you should ban it, you should never watch it again, it should be, like, destroyed. And it was like, whoa, whoa, steady on. And you had that real, like, um, two different sides of the argument. Can you imagine the horrors, though, if Patrick Troughton had actually blacked up? Oh, God, do you imagine it today? Three, well, Uh, imagine... Yeah, I mean, to be honest, three years of Doctor Who, it would be pretty tricky to watch now, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it would be. Especially if you then yeah. played it with an accent as well. Yeah. That, that would yeah. just be just... <laughs> I think even at, the, even at the time they realised that was <laughs> that, that was a bit unacceptable. Yeah, well, totally unacceptable. Um, yeah, and it's, I suppose that's the way that sort of everything's polarised now, isn't it? It's, um, you know, the, the, the probably the way that we've always watched Hansa Wen Chang is that is unacceptable now. We, we watch it with that awareness um, mm. that, it, that it's from another time. But um, like you say, it's um, on, on Twitter and things like that, it's, it's one extreme or the other, isn't it? It's like you're a terrible person if you like it um, or, you know, it's uh, it's totally fine sort of thing, whereas probably most people are, are in the middle. It's it's a it's one of the uh, the best kind of looking productions of Doctor Who in terms of the, the sets and the costumes and things. It's, it's really well written, but, you know, there's, there's, there's problems that we kind of acknowledge with it um, that uh, we wouldn't, we wouldn't... You, you wouldn't even get in television today, would yeah. you? You, know, you wouldn't even get those stereotypes or, or like you say, uh, you know, a Chinese character being played by a white actor. It just wouldn't happen. Just going back to the... Um the CGI idea. In a way, I find it easier to accept other actors playing these characters than basically resurrecting a dead actor, using mm. their image to act a part without their kind of permission, really. You'd be getting them to say words which they've not agreed to say, mm. using their face to say it with. It's, I've, yeah. I, mean, I love the Rogue it, One and I adored the uh, talking bit in it. But in a lot of ways, would 
Peter Cushing agreed to do that film. I can't imagine why he wouldn't have done, but in a lot of ways, he's not been given the choice. And it's it's, it's a strange thing to think that people, I mean, be able to make politicians from the past say things they've never said. We were able to get people to, um, like, endorse things they've never wanted to endorse in adverts and things like that. We can actually sort of, like, get people to do, like, to change their philosophies, to change their personal views. And in a lot of ways, we'd be getting doctors... Like people we like, like Tom Baker, we could have them on screen saying stuff which he might not have wanted to have said. Yeah, true. It's interesting you go back a bit, obviously, the would Peter Cushing have done that role if he was still here? I mean, I know they did ask Peter Cushing to stay if they could use the, his likeness and his image, and obviously that was agreed. And if it wasn't, I presume the character wouldn't have been either in the film or they would have recast and just had Guy Henry play it as his version of Tarkin. Mm. But um, I remember, I think I'm going back to the late 80s or the early 90s, when this kind of first technology first started to come about, there was a famous, I think it was a Coca-Cola advert that included people like Marilyn Monroe and James Dean and, you know, endorsing Coca-Cola. And there was such a huge uproar from the estates of these deceased actors I think they actually sued Coca-Cola and it led to a change in, um, you know, the, 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 you know, the guidelines that, you know, actors work to that, that you can't use an actor's likeness now without the, the go ahead or the approval of either the actor or the estate. So I don't think we'd probably get into that, but like you say, it's an interesting thing because Tom Baker himself might not have wanted to say those words if, say, we get to the stage in, you know, 50 years' time and he's been recreated CG-wise through this technology. Yes, his estate and his family may have signed off on it, but would Tom Baker personally have liked it? Mm. It's tantamount to necromancy, really, isn't it? We're getting into deeper waters than I thought we were going to do tonight. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose particularly with Tom Baker, because he, even now at Big Finish, he, he seems to have a, a large say over the script. I mean, obviously, famously, um, when he was on TV, he'd be uh, throwing them out of windows. And, they uh, would advise writers not to go to read them, basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, certainly during the Graham William era, wasn't it? Like, um, he uh, had quite a lot of control during that time. Yeah, but a Big Finish, apparently, um, whereas sort of, you know, Peter Davison doesn't, I think, apparently doesn't read the scripts before he arrives uh, in the studio. Uh, Tom Baker does go through them and make suggestions and put his own <laughs> lines in and things still. Um, so, yeah, maybe that probably has a, a greater impact on his performance, which, like you say, you wouldn't have with a, a future digitally created version. Um, and same, it, you hear that all the doctors kind of ad lib and things, don't they? You remember um, some stuff about uh, Peter Capaldi, uh, some really cool lines that he did. That um, there's the one in I can't remember which story it is now, when he talks about the TARDIS and he says, "Well, I, I always make it lighter because otherwise it would crack the earth open." Or I can't even remember the line now. I'm saying what a great line it is. The original line was sort of like, I, I make the TARDIS lighter on the outside or something like that so it doesn't sink into the earth. But he changed the line to it would crack the earth open like an egg or something like that. Yeah, so it's it's not just, I guess, the, the voice and the physical appearance, isn't it? It's, uh, it's what they bring to 
their knowledge of the character as well that they, they're bringing to it, and um, particularly sort of Tom Baker, his knowledge of what, what the character would say, and you know, want to put uh, want to put some some good retorts in. Which come, which goes back to the thing: is it the actor or is it the uh, is it the character? Yeah, yeah. I mean, then if, if another actor inherits that character, that's their interpretation then of of the fourth Doctor. Should we ever get to the point where somebody else portrays the fourth Doctor, so it, it gets to the point of like they then become another character in the same like. There's multiple Sherlock Holmes, isn't there? There's multiple mm. James Bonds. There's there's multiple like Hamlets. You know, mm. they all have different interpretations, and you know we'll get to the point where it's like, which one is definitive? It would be Very strange true. if another actor took over, say, the fifth Doctor's role and that became the definitive version of it. It would be so strange to think that the original actor yeah. being superseded. I mean, I don't well, think it, it, it does happen, doesn't it? Because obviously, you know, going to like Sherlock Holmes and James Bond, people have their ideas of who is the the definitive James Bond or Sherlock Holmes and it's not always necessarily the the first actor that's played that role. Mm. That's true, yeah. Yeah, it's had to, whichever way Doctor Who continues and in what whatever medium uh, media in the future, you don't know what uh, fans a couple of generations down the line. Um, you know, there could be an animated series or something like that it's, uh, where they, they use old incarnations and because there was plans for that at one point. Uh, I believe I've seen some artwork for it and they 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 had sort of uh, versions of all the all the previous doctors, very sort of stylized and things. Um, then again, I didn't know if that was real or whether it was just really clever fan had created those. There's trouble these days. You're never quite sure what's the truth. <laughs> it's, yeah. There's so many clever people out there who create stuff and uh, then that creates the rumour that, oh, that was going to happen. But, I know CBBC uh, wanted Russell T Davis to do like a Doctor Who, young Doctor Who at Time Lord Academy series, didn't it, as a cartoon, and he point blankly just shot it down straight away, and then instead decided to come up with the Sarah Jane adventures for them instead. Right, I didn't know that. I didn't know it was going to be a cartoon. I knew that that was the proposed idea, but I thought it was going to be a live action thing. So, oh right, I, I'm, I'm pretty no, sure right it was so a cartoon or. I may be getting it mixed up with something. So then we'd have a, a child playing William Hartnell, basically. Yeah, yeah, basically. And then would that become the definitive first Doctor? Yeah. <laughs> that, would be, that would be bizarre. <laughs> uh, I suppose the only other one I can think of that we haven't mentioned is the other big finish. You've got um, Jake Dudman, who does the 10th and 11th Doctors. Um, and Cannelly, well, he's brilliant. Yes, yeah, very well. Yeah, so especially I think he's Matt Smith. Yeah, that is just genius. Yeah, mm. uh, yeah, I've got no objections to that. But uh, it's strange because he does Tennant as well, which is also very good. But mm. they do employ Tennant. Yeah, so <laughs> he does do them. So yeah, and I suppose you wonder what permission, or I guess they, I guess they don't need permission because they, they they've got the rights. But yeah, do they run that past him first? Go give him first refusal. Um, but yeah, because essentially sense, yeah. it's just an impression, isn't it? It's mm. not your. Do, do you need an actor's, you know, approval to mimic their voice? Is it the same as the likeness issue? Yeah, I suppose maybe it's a courtesy when when they're working. Especially if you want to employ them, actually, yes, because you wouldn't want to make um, you wouldn't want to upset David Tennant to then not be able to employ him again, would you? So. Is it? 
Very true, very true. Uh, he seems very willing to come back once a year, though. He's, um, it's, uh, he's a big enough fan, I guess, that uh, you know he's aware that there's a fan base that, that wants to. You know, you always want to see more of any of any doctor. He's doing a twelfth uh, doctor one as well, isn't he? Um, he's doing like a twelfth doctor. You know, he's done the um, the eleventh and the um, Jacob Dudman. Yeah. Oh right, I thought yeah. you meant David Tennant. Then. Oh no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, so he's definitely. Was- was that Jake Dudman doing the Twelfth Doctor? I think he's. I think he's the one who's doing it. Yeah. Wow. So I remember. I, I listened to the trailer a couple of weeks ago, and I was thinking, like, who was that? I'd, I'd, and thought they were doing a, a, an okay impression of Peter Cavaldi, but I didn't realise it was it was him. Right. That's incredibly versatile of him, then, because uh, that's, uh, that's that's three Doctors he's he's got under his belt. That's uh, that's pretty. Good. All he needs now is to do Christopher Eccleston, and they've got the uh, the full. New yeah. series lot then, haven't they? Yeah, Nicholas Briggs does that one though, doesn't he? I suppose that's another recast in a way. Nicholas Briggs does um, the Ninth Doctor for the uh, for that one box set and sort of the other yeah. the short story. Let's have a look at the Twelfth Doctor. Mm. So, what do you think is is more important? How much they sound like the original? Or whether, like we're saying, they've they've got a little bit of uh, the, the you know the blessing by either being related to the original or uh, you know have the, the sort of seal of approval from the contemporary castmates of the of the era they're recreating. I suspect it'll have to be a bit of both because mm. they're not going to upset the original cast, even if the person's like. A total, but they do because I mean they they can they record people separately, don't they? I mean Lana Ward, she records her all her stuff separately, so they could just record somebody else playing that part and then just merge them together. So they don't really need the original cast members there. But mm-hmm. would they want to go back and do it again if that was the case? I suppose it's interesting, isn't it? Because you can like, is it a case of like I think as long as they get kind of like the essence of the character. They don't have to sound exactly like them, you know. You know, we know William Russell and Peter Purvis don't sound exactly like William Hartnell. Fraser Hines does a very, very good job most of the time. Um, Tim Trelaw, I've found like you know hit and miss on the stuff that I have listened to, but does seem to be getting better. Um, so I think as, as long as they get the essence of the character and and the characters. It comes down to the writing eventually, doesn't it? Mm. As long as the writing is good and true, then as long as you've got that kind of like hint of the first Doctor, the second Doctor, the third Doctor, I think it doesn't really matter if they sound absolutely like the character. I mean, because there's some instances where Tom doesn't sound exactly like he did as the fourth Doctor, because obviously he's... You know, he's 80-plus years, and at some points his voice isn't quite as it was back in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. But you still accept it because he's you're still listening to it, and you're still listening to a fourth Doctor adventure, and you're still wrapped up in the story. So I wonder maybe the way they would go just to, like, have their own individual casts and have, like, just separate... Um I suppose box sets and stuff like that, because like the first Doctors, um, they've got like a whole new uh, chronology now with the new with the um, the new cast from the um, TV sh- uh, from the um, Time and Space, haven't they? Yeah. But, but then the woman who plays Barbara, is it Gemma, something Powell, Gemma Powell. I've got to that, that sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. 
she's she's played Barbara in with um, the original cast as well. Yeah, yeah, Gemma Powell. So there's a lot of cross- and, and, and ironically, one where there was a fake companion as well. Right. There's yeah, there one like was a, another character who was like sort of insinuated into the, themselves into the TARDIS crew, like the alien pretending to be another companion, but one of the companions was also a fake. How very meta, meta I was going to say. Yeah. It's, uh... Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, Jacob Duckman is doing the Twelfth um, Doctor. Yeah. All right. And I think he's he's so good um, that, that that you accept him. Um, I suppose with him, he's doing more. It's a, it's a the ones I've heard. It's a combination of he's narrating a story and again they're doing the narration. Yeah. Because obviously at this point it's difficult to get Jenna Coleman and Karen Gillan. Almost uh, impossible. So, yeah. You can't afford them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's it. They. Um, they, they've had pretty amazing careers on the on the back of uh, their Doctor Who roles, haven't they? Certainly, Karen has. She's a she's the star of the biggest box office smash of all time at the moment, isn't she? Yeah. But she knows she's even uh, the power to keep her hair, I believe. So. Right. She's been ball capping. <laughs> she's um, ball caps for the last few films, uh, hasn't she? So. Yeah, and then and Jenna Coleman's, uh, you know, she's got a TV show, hasn't she? That's uh, that's, that's doing pretty well. Uh, Will she be able to do Victoria in her later years? Or are we going to have to recast her, do you think? I don't know. Suddenly turn into Miriam Margolis or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's what they've done with the Queen, isn't it? And what's the, uh, I haven't watched it, but the Netflix one, they've... Um, recast, oh, haven't they? Yeah. They've yeah. gone to Olivia Colman, haven't they? Yeah. More recast. Well, they have a 20-year hiatus and then come back and when she's older to yeah. <laughs> fill in the later years. Yeah. Years ago, they just put a bit of slack on them and they'd have been fine. Do that with Eye Claudius, they just had all the actors with more and more makeup on every week. Yeah, just use some deep fake technology and make them older instead of younger. Yeah, that says we work both ways, doesn't it? So. That would be creepy for the actors though, just to look at themselves aging. Well, people do that on um, Instagram all the time, don't they? So maybe it's uh, not that. Yeah, that, there was a trend, wasn't there, a couple of weeks back with everybody doing it on Facebook and Twitter. And sort of the rumour came out that it, that it was for, so the Russians could like take over his identity as well, didn't they? Stop it in. Uh, yeah, it was for facial recognition. They thought, yeah, they were creating a huge database for <laughs> facial recognition technology, yeah. So always the Russians. Oh, yes, blame them for everything, person. <laughs> so I guess the hope being that one day we'll get Matt Smith and Peter Capaldi to, uh, to work with Big Finish. When the money. Well, goes. let's hope so. Mind you, they did say they'd never get McGann, and now he's done hundreds. So yeah, it's yeah. Never say never. Uh, and Eccleston, he's he started doing conventions. You never know. You never know. Yeah, he might finally be persuaded to uh, go into the recording booth for a day. That's it. They normally uh, tempt them with the lunches, the quality of the lunches, don't they? Maybe just needs to, some of the other doctors need to, to let him know how good they are. I think it's just when they realise how much money they can make out of it. <laughs> I think it's, uh, it tends to be a bit of a winning factor as well because uh, I don't think McGann was that keen until he realised how um, right. how uh, popular it was. And then, uh, yeah, he's sort of become a bit of a uh, comic con horse recently, hasn't he? So he's, like, <laughs> he's had all of them. <laughs> anyway, that's slightly bizarre. <laughs> well, thank you very much for listening at home, and thank you very much, Jason and Keith. Thank you very much. Thank you. Where can we find you guys on Twitter, Jason? Uh, DjangoMax72 on Twitter. Thank you. I've got the increasingly old 50DW50. 
Um, and uh, I am at Quark McMalis. You can follow the podcast as at Trapborn underscore. You can like it on Facebook. And uh, if you're feeling very generous, you can subscribe uh, and leave a, a review on iTunes or wherever you get your, wherever you get your podcasts from. That would be greatly appreciated. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>